to the Wild Wisdom Podcast with Dr. Patricia Mills. I'm Dr. Patricia. This podcast is for people who want to transform their health, restore their hormones, and reconnect to their body's natural wisdom. Hi, I'm Dr. Patricia. I'm a Canadian medical doctor, published author, internationally recognized researcher, and passionate advocate for your health. Here, we'll explore the intersection between ancient wisdom and cutting-edge science, distilling the essence of true health into practical steps you can take. Wild wisdom is instinctive knowledge in action. Thanks for making this part of your day. Can you naturally reduce migraines with nutrition or headaches for that matter? Uh, the answer we're going to be getting to today on the Wild Wisdom Show. So excited to have you here. And we are looking forward to interviewing a registered dietitian and nutrition who, nutritionist who has uh, done a deep dive into the research on migraines and how to reduce them naturally. And she's told me that this also applies to headaches. So if you or someone you love suffer from migraines or headaches, uh, definitely stay tuned. Um, welcome to the Wild Wisdom Show. I'm Dr. Patricia Mills, a medical doctor with a different spin on health. And I love taking complex information and breaking it down into easy to understand digestible knowledge that you can start implementing right away. And today we're going to be speaking to Lynn Clayton, who is a registered dietitian and nutritionist. Lynn, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you. It's good to be here. Oh, it's such a pleasure. Um, and I was just saying, it's so fun to interview um, individuals who have really done a deep dive on a topic, especially because they themselves have experienced the problem, which really motivates um, individuals to go beyond what they're taught um, and really search for solutions and not really uh, stop searching until they find something that works for themselves and then turning around and helping other people do it. Is that, is that how you came to this topic? of overcoming migraines? Pretty much. Um, I knew it had just taken a long time to sort of get to the place where I felt comfortable and well controlled with my migraines. And after doing a lot of the research and reading a lot of books and seeing what was out there, I thought it didn't address all of the underlying concerns, um, you know, causes of migraine. So once I did the research, I was I was thinking, why not write another book on migraine, you know, that's more concise and really targets multiple facets of it. So that's kind of what led me to to write the book. And the book you're referring to is called Overcoming Migraine. Is that right? Yes. Great. And at the end, we're going to talk about where people can find this book. And um, how did writing this book change your understanding of migraines and how to treat them? Well, I really learned a lot just researching for the book. And I knew what a migraine felt like because I've, I've had migraine with aura for year, decades, really. Um, but I didn't understand exactly what was going on inside my brain, inside my body, whenever migraines would occur. And you know, even though there's there's still some mystery regarding migraine and what causes it, and science is still trying to unravel some of that, but I did get a little bit clearer picture of what causes the symptoms that go along with it. So I learned how certain foods can trigger a migraine, um, and there's lots of compounds in food, whether it's natural or added, that 
can cause a reaction in, in someone who's susceptible to it, um, who's you know prone to having headaches or migraines, either one. And so that's why I devoted an entire chapter in the book to diet and migraines to discuss the most common food triggers and how to to do an elimination diet to figure out you know what's what may be causing or triggering it for someone so they can sort of reduce those. Um, so you know if you figure out what the problem is, a lot of times it really helps and probably a good percentage of people actually do have food triggers, you know, with migraines, they may just not realize it. And how many people do you think have food triggers contributing to their migraines based on your readings or experience? There was uh, one resource that I used and it said up to, you know, at least 25% of the people they felt like had some sort of dietary component that would trigger their migraines. Um, and it could be more than that. Um, it's and it's hard to tell because it doesn't trigger it immediately. A lot of times there's the delayed reaction to having the migraine, or it can be one time it causes it, another time it doesn't. So it's also kind of a compounding issue. You know, maybe you have multiple foods that could be triggers, and when you put them together, it actually triggers the migraine. Whereas if you just had one or a small amount of a food, it's you know, not a big deal. So, um, so I think it's probably more common than maybe we think. But according to the research and when this, they did the studies, you know, that they found that several of the people did have a food trigger they discovered. Um, and so I kind of uh, showed which foods are more likely to trigger migraines and just give a list of those from the most likely culprit to the least likely, you know, as far as percentages based on the research. And of course, it's different for everyone. And um, for some individuals, I mean, for me, I can totally understand and even in my mind visualize how it is that eating something could result in a headache or a migraine. But for a lot of people who are going to be watching this, that connection may seem very unusual and not intuitive. Mm-hmm. So, how is it that? Um, and this is with the understanding that there are many things that can contribute to a migraine. So we're speaking of one of the many root causes, which we can touch on later just to create like a holistic understanding of it. But what we're going to dive into over the next uh, um, uh, half an hour or so is more on that nutrition aspect. And so how is it that eating a food or, as you say, components of food, either within the food or added, how does that end up causing a headache or a migraine? Great question, because that was sort of the mystery, you know, of, you know, what is going on? And for some people, it's just they have a sensitivity to a food. So it that's sort of the inflammation component. You know, if there's some inflammation that can sort of trigger some issues. Um, a lot of people react to histamine. So if they have a high histamine diet and they're just not coping well with the histamine, then that can actually affect the blood vessels. So once you affect the blood vessels, especially if you're prone to migraine, it it creates that whole vasoconstriction, vasodilation that leads to a lot of symptoms. So uh, histamines is a big one. Um, Of course, tyramines is another component in food that we always think about, you know, oh, well, you know, do a low tyramine diet for migraines. And for some people that can be it, but that may not be the only thing. Um, Also blood sugar fluctuations. 
you know, just going too long without eating or having a lot of refined carbs in the diet, if it's, you know, sugar is spiking and or uh, dropping, you know, just depending on whether it's skipping meals or having a certain diet, then that can cause blood sugar fluctuations. And for some people, that can also trigger a headache or migraines as well. Okay, so um, what I'll try to do is is get that on the level that um, everyone can understand, because I think a, a certain group of the of people will will understand that. And I'll do my best to like really simplify it even more. Um, is that one of the pathways that connects what you eat and uh, headaches is through the immune system. So the immune system is the part of the body that we are familiar with in terms of like, you know, the part of the body that helps fight off infections, viruses, bacteria. It also helps recognize um, foreign invaders to the body. And so it gets activated or turned on to fight um, when it experience when it sees those foreign invaders like infectious invaders, but also foreign invaders from things like um, in our diet and certain um, immune systems, like everybody can have different um, immune system responses to foods. And some people can eat any kind of food and they, their immune system doesn't react to it. And other people can eat certain kinds of foods and their immune system will. And that's a combination of genetics, like you're predisposed to the reaction or it could be a combination of there's something that's affected your health in some way, like a decrease in your digestive power. So you're not breaking down your food properly, a problem with your gut health. So at the level of the lining of the gut, the food is getting into your body before it's been properly digested. That can happen with a leaky gut or what is called increased intestinal permeability. And so for these, all of these different reasons, the food particles, as you say, either the natural food or added like chemicals and additives, some people have reactions to those, those can get into the body and they trigger the immune system. And that it can either be a trigger that activates a part of the immune system that creates little molecules, they're called antibodies, that float around the body. And that can take days to happen. So that kind of like the, the food being eaten and then the immune system reacting to it can actually take like four to seven days. So that's why sometimes it's like you eat something and then within the next week you get a headache or a migraine. You're not connecting the dots. You're like, oh, because you're not thinking about what did I do over last week to cause this headache right now. Whereas another part of the immune system that can activate it, be activated is one that causes an immediate release of molecules called um, histamine. So it's like a part of the immune system, it's called the mast cells, they get activated and they dump a whole bunch of histamine into the body and you get that chemical reaction to, the, to those molecules and then you get your headache pretty much like really close to having eaten that food. And so that's like a little bit more obvious. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the immune system. And then when you talk about the blood sugar getting too low, like, you know, spiking too high and then dropping too low because of the way you're eating your foods and the kind of foods that you're eating. Um, that seems to be more of like a chemistry effect um, on the brain and how it affects the brain's chemistry and the brain's blood flow. Um, and as you mentioned, that the migraines, at least from the research that I understand, it's a combination of the blood vessels in the brain expanding and contracting. So the blood flow changes. So those the immune system effects and the, um, you know, the food effects causes the blood flow changes. And um, you can also get inflammation, which is like literally like the brain be can become like inflamed. And that's the immune system being overactivated in the brain and causing problems there at that level. So 
it's complicated science on a certain level. However, what I want, the point I want to get across is that although it may not seem intuitive that eating a food could cause a migraine or a headache to appear within a week's time or immediately, there is a science there that supports um, the fact that this does happen and can happen. So it's not like some strange, oh, you know, people are just kind of making these assumptions, but it's actually very much founded on on strong science and the physiology of the body. Exactly. Okay, awesome. Now you mentioned um, that certain foods are more likely to cause um, this like immune system activation um, than others to cause the headache or the migraine. What are like some of the top offenders that um, you you have seen in the research or for yourself, like what you experienced when you used food as medicine to, because um, food can be medicine and food can be poison. And in this case, we're talking about food as poison. So what are the, the biggest offenders when it comes to migraines and headaches? Well, would they sort of look to see the most common ones? Uh, milk was at the top of the list. Uh, for a lot of people, they just didn't tolerate the milk. Um, chocolate is usually one. Um, fish can be one for a lot of people. Um, so it just, you know, there's a variety of things that can actually, and there's a list in the book, you know, that lists several different things and different chemicals that or compounds that those foods may contain that could contribute to a migraine. Um, so it, and it varies with everyone. You know, eggs was another one that was on the list. So it's some of the top uh, food allergens, you know, that we see that are uh, usually a problem for people, but it could also be other components in the food. And um, what, did, what was it for you? What did you find for yourself? Well, uh, I noticed early on chocolate was one of mine, so no chocolate for me. Um, it just wasn't worth the headache. And um, later, tomatoes became one. Uh, so not necessarily some of the most common ones, but I was thinking, is it the acidity? But uh, there are components, you know, in things like strawberries and tomatoes that can trigger that. So I, I don't do tomatoes, citrus fruits, not so much for me either. Um, later, I discovered, you know, uh, fish a couple of times having fish and it would trigger a migraine within, and it was usually a few hours or maybe the next day. But after doing that a few times, like, ah, it's fish. So um, for me, that, you know, sort of became off limits um, and it because it can change over time, you know, so it, it may vary with that, but I've, I've sort of learned which ones that can trigger it for me. And is it like all kinds of fish or certain kinds of fish? Like, does, does it get to that level of, you know, variety? Um, there was two, I tried it with uh, tuna and tilapia and both times had, you know, the same reaction. So um, I haven't, you know, and then the other aspect is healing the gut, like you talked about, you know, the leaky gut and having that permeability in the intestines that may create a response from the body that's just a, like an overactive immune function. So, you know, I'm thinking if making sure that the gut is healthy, then maybe later I can try fish again and add it and it might not be a problem. 
Um, but for some reason at that time, um, and, you know, it may be other things going on at the same time. Maybe you're, you know, more stressed, you know, something else is going on or you've been exposed to other things or it could be a combination of things that just happen to trigger that. So it, you know, I I usually will try food multiple times before I take it out of the diet. Um, and some of those I may reintroduce. Uh, gluten was another one that I noticed, you know, was was causing problems for me. So. Um, so you know, you just kind of do the elimination and then do the reintroductions just to see is this still a problem. Uh, but for right now, you know, I'm still a little bit leery with fish. Yeah, and it's interesting, like how um, how it can change over time, right? So there are certain food sensitivities and allergies that we can develop as we age. So sometimes, you know, you start off being okay with dairy and then over time you're not, right? Um, and that can be, um, you know, that can be something like with aging, we lose certain processes like ability to break down certain foods. It could be underlying um, problems with uh, gut health that have been injured as a result of the root causes of poor gut health, which are basically modern, uh, you know, foods, uh, modern nutrition, modern stress, modern toxins and modern lifestyle that can, you know, really erode our gut health and our digestive power. And so, yeah, they can come and they can go in the sense that sometimes if you are, as you say, experiencing more stress or having more like eating foods that are less nutritious for you and more damaging for your gut, it can predispose you, right, to have mm -hmm. more of these food sensitivities and food reactions, which for some people will manifest as a migraine or headache. For some people, it's a rash, brain fog, joint aches, muscle aches, um, problems with digestion, right? Like, you know, constipation, diarrhea, or both. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to do, as you say, um, to become aware of the patterns. And also for women, there's the element of hormonal fluctuations over the month, mm. right? And women are unique in that way so that you could probably develop um, more sensitivities to certain foods at different times of the month and becoming aware of what that might look like for you. Mm -hmm. And women compared to men have a much um, greater stress response from like we are more likely to have problems with the stress hormone cortisol. Um, and that's a physiological difference that unfortunately works against us in, in today's modern society. So it means we have to be really more intentional about, you know, really fixing. And, and I like to talk about the four pillars of health being the first pillar is the stress response. Then it's the hormone balance, uh, gut health and toxins tolerance. So, you know, it's interesting when we do the elimination diet, and for those of you who don't know, I, I've been talking a lot about the elimination diet. It's been this massive tool on my journey to healing my body. And people often say, well, I'm going to eliminate these like high inflammatory foods like dairy and, um, you know, coffee and um, wheat and, um, you know, corn, soy, those things. And then there's the sugar, the alcohol and the, and the coffee. What, what people, um, and I, I talk about this a lot when I wrote the Personalized Diet Solution, which is basically a guide to the elimination diet, is that you also have to eliminate the foods that caused the problems with the gut health in the first place, which are the, you know, the ultra processed foods with the added chemicals and preservatives and emulsifiers that have been proven in humans to cause problems with the gut inflammation and, uh, and the gut health, right, that could then lead to these food sensitivities. And if you don't el eliminate those foods, even though that food might be 
gluten-free and it doesn't have fish in it and it doesn't have corn in it, you know, like a perfect example is like a gluten-free bread, right? That gluten-free bread, um, if it's on the shelf for any prolonged period of time and it doesn't go bad, it has a preservative and emulsifier in it. And so if you keep that in your diet and you don't eliminate that, you're probably going to end up experiencing more food sensitivities down the road to the foods that you do keep in your diet, right? And then becomes a special vicious cycle. So um, as you say, the elimination diet is such a key component of um, figuring out what foods um, are triggering or not triggering your um, migraines and your headaches, and then really paying attention to eliminating the foods that actually cause the problem in the first place, right? And, and that so would be the ultra processed foods, the high sugar foods, and then the foods sprayed with pesticides. Exactly. You know, like you say, the research is there. And so we know it's doing damage to the gut. And that just leads a pathway, you know, to cause problems in the body. And like you said, with women, too, you know, to your point with the hormones, because women are more likely to develop migraines. And so it, it does seem to affect women more. Yeah. And uh, is there anything else you want to say about uh, nutrition and, and what you found in your journey when you were writing the book? Anything that was like really surprising that came up for you or something that you found has been really helpful for you? Well, I thought the, the chemical, you know, the biochemical and the hormone connection was really interesting. And, and there's research, you know, I mean, once you look into the research, even, you know, our U.S. government guidelines, our websites, um, it, it says, you know, people with migraines tend to have lower magnesium levels. So it's the research is there. It was just I was surprised because no doctor, no neurologist had ever said, have you tried magnesium? And so when I started doing the research for myself and found that there was so many other things that you can do to help prevent uh, migraine from developing in the first place, or at least reduce the intensity and the severity, you know, and frequency really of having migraine, um, it was a game changer. Um, you know, some of the supplements were so much more helpful and the medications I didn't, I didn't like those very well. They didn't, I didn't tolerate them. They had a lot of side effects and some of them, I mean, they just didn't work at, at some, you know, at some point it was a migraine. It just didn't work on. So I became more interested in preventing the migraine from developing in the first place. And I think when I first really got into starting this journey is I had met a holistic MD and he took a whole different approach with diet, lifestyle, nutrition. He was really big on nutrition and kind of put me on a path to sort of start this whole new protocol of following this to reduce that. And it was amazing. Within a month, you know, the migraines were much better, less frequent, but I felt better. I slept better. I had more energy. Um, it, it was just, you know, a whole different approach. and. So that was kind of my introduction to nutrition really does work. You know, it, it's really helpful. Yeah, really. I mean, I, I agree with all of that. And um, what comes to mind when you were when you were what came to mind when you were talking was magnesium. It's interesting, right? Magnesium is a natural um, blood like relaxer. Mm -hmm. right? And so, for example, when women 
are pregnant and they develop really high blood pressure called like preeclampsia or eclampsia, they go into hospital and what they'll do is they'll put IV magnesium, right? To naturally like expand the blood vessels. And research shows that around 70 to 80% of the North American population is deficient in magnesium. Mm-hmm. And the question is like, why, why is that? Well, a couple of that reasons that come to mind is uh, stress depletes magnesium. So it drains magnesium. The body needs magnesium to cope with stress. So if your stress levels go up, your magnesium levels go down, unless you purposefully replenish that magnesium. And we'll talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um, the other reason being that when w- there was this very interesting um, study that came out in the 1960s comparing organically raised uh, vegetables to conventionally raised, so sprayed vegetables, um, the magnesium content was like four times higher in the organic foods, right? Sometimes mm-hmm. six times higher. There's like, mm-hmm. so are the, mag- the basic, and it, so as iron was depleted, like the, a tomato had, um, you know, almost zero iron if it had been non-organically raised compared to an uh, organically raised tomato. It had like really high levels of iron equivalent to meat. So the type of food that we're buying is it has become slowly depleted in our minerals and magnesium. Really, um, it's involved in over 800 bodily functions. So it's the one that we really feel when it becomes depleted. Right, mm-hmm. iron obviously we feel as well, but magnesium it's like this really interesting one. And I agree. When I started uh, my journey on my health, I, I was having headaches intermittently, but they were the um, the tension headaches, not the migraineous ones. So I'd like constriction and pressure. And when I started supplementing my magnesium, it's amazing. My my tension headaches went away. My menstrual cramping went away. And magnesium is a nus- a natural muscle relaxant. Mm. So it also relaxes the muscles of the uterus and and muscles around the head, muscles in the body. So it's a super fascinating supplement. And it is one of my core supplements when I work with people in health promotion programs, like I'm always getting them on magnesium. And there's a way to determine like how much your body needs because the blood tests will not actually act or act not accurate for that at all. Like Mm -hmm. zero accuracy, if it's a regular blood test, if it's a red blood cell magnesium test, it's like 30% of the picture, but you'll never really know with any kind of blood test. So it's the supplementation that that tells you if you're on the right track, if you feel better, you're Mm -hmm. on the right track, right? Mm -hmm. But at the very least, buy a good quality magnesium, like a magnesium bisglycinate um, and take it as, as, as they recommend it on the bottle. And, and, you know, at, that will over time probably be super helpful. Um, and then I think the other research has been in um, the B vitamins for, mag- for migraine in specific, right? Uh, particularly riboflavin or vitamin B2. Yes. And that's another one. And interestingly, in that case, they actually recommend supplementing with the single riboflavin supplement not just within a b complex because normally you know i recommend a multivitamin or a b complex for people to get a balance but it was targeted riboflavin therapy that they've actually researched um so that was that was interesting as well just yeah, to I, I know it's, i've looked at that research i'm a little bit um hesitant to c- agree with that in the sense that although they studied b2 um 
most people, when they're deficient in some one thing, they're deficient in the complex of it. So mm-hmm. I often will ask people to also go on a B vitamin complex so that, so that you know, because nature never exists in isolation. And so mm-hmm. um, it doesn't, intuitively doesn't make sense to me that someone would be just depleted in B2 or, and not in other things. So, um, you know, for me, I like to have people on a complex, not the high dose ones where you're getting massive doses of vitamin B6. That's the one you want to be worried about overdosing like anything over 50 milligrams a day carries a risk of developing problems with your nervous system like numbness and tingling and um, funny feelings around your lips or your hands and your feet Um, but as long as you're respecting that that vitamin b6 dose and you're making sure you're getting enough b2 to match what the research shows then adding you know having that b complex i think is like mm, health insurance right Mm -hmm. just to make sure that you're not you know, you're not respecting the fact that, you know, everything kind of, the B vitamins usually come together in nature, right? It's not like you eat a plant and you're just getting the B2, you're usually getting all of those other um, vitamins together. Um, So that's just one thing that, you know, uh, I keep in mind, because just because the research hasn't been done on doing vitamin B2 plus the other vitamins, um, doesn't mean it wouldn't be helpful to have those added in. So that's just like something that I think about when I look at that research. But mm-hmm. yeah, you do have to hit a certain dose of, of the riboflavin B2. Um, it's like medicinal doses, right? You're you're actually trying to um, you're trying to meet an unmet demand, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that the body is having that it's not getting everything it needs to function properly. So you're trying to top up what it needs, like the building blocks of health. And you're using supplements to do that. And the understanding is you also want to be looking at while you're using things like magnesium and the B vitamins or vitamin B2 specifically, if you just do that, that's a really great Band-Aid solution, right? Because it's helping you feel better and it's Mm -hmm. topping up um, depleted nutrients. However, you do still want to take a look and see, like, were there other root causes that that led to me having low magnesium and led me to having um, low B vitamin 2, for example, gut health, right? Like some people will say, um, well, why can't I just eat a whole foods diet and get all my nutrients from that? Why would I have to supplement? And, you know, the argument against it is, of course, the food supply, not having all the supplements that you like, all the nutrients and the quantities that we need, the stress you know, the demand outstripping the supply. And there's also the the component of the leaky gut and the injured gut. You know, some people are eating incredibly healthy foods and really great diets, but because of problems with stress or previous medications like antibiotics or anti-inflammatories or things that are known to hurt your gut lining and your gut health, you may not be absorbing your food properly. So, you know, there may be a period of time where you do have to supplement to, you know, kind of reestablish your supplies of nutrients. And then and then as you're doing that, as you're taking your magnesium and your B vitamins and all those sorts of things, you're working on you're maintaining a really wholesome nutrition. You've got that whole foods diet that's low in excess sugars, low in processed foods. Right. Um, so you're so you're building back up your gut health and making sure you are supplying, you know, your nutrients. And then you may be working specifically on your gut health with some gut supporting supplements, right? Like, um, and foods like um, bone broth and um, baked apples that have pectin in them that can be healing for the gut. Maybe it's like zinc, which is a fantastic mineral for gut healing. Um, 
So it's, as you say, you know, people who come into this and they say, well, all I'm going to do is, is I'm going to eliminate foods um, and see what foods are triggering my headaches and, and my migraines. And that's all I'm going to do and say, well, that'll get you, that'll get you to a certain point. Mm-hmm. And if you're one of those 25% or more people who has a food trigger, then you're going to feel better. However, if you don't also look at like, how is my foundational health? How are those four pillars of health, the stress response, the hormone balance, the gut health and the toxins tolerance, you know, if those are not well supported, then it may be that over time you, as you say, develop more food sensitivities and you're, you start developing headaches to other triggers. Um, you know, so it's really, I think, and that's something that I learned is that the elimination diet is, is really important. However, you still have to, it's, it does, it's not a standalone therapy. If what you want is like root cause solutions for your health, it's an important aspect of it, but it, it doesn't exist on its own. Would you, would you agree with that? Or what do you think? Yes. Cause if, if people are just doing elimination diets, because I've seen that happen, you know, I've had patients or clients that this well, I, I avoid this, and you know, they got a whole list of foods they avoid, and I'm thinking, what did you eat? You know, so there's there's a certain balance to where yes, it's good. Let's go ahead and eliminate these for a time, but then let's heal the gut and then reintroduce some of these, and only eliminate those foods that you know that you just cannot tolerate, that you're never going to be able to tolerate you know, most likely. So, um, because I don't like to see when people are restricting too much because then that's going to lead to a whole host of other issues and nutrient deficiencies. Uh, so I totally agree. Yeah. And I actually, I'm personally going through this right now, which is interesting. Like my, one of my tells of a food sensitivity is I get dermatitis, which is a rash just around my eye. And the first time I experienced this, which was about five years ago, I did the elimination diet and I, I identified that there were certain foods that were causing it. I, did, I eliminated from my diet so it got better. And then as I went along, I, I did the gut healing and I, I over time have completely eliminated ultra processed foods. Like I eat a very, very wholesome diet and I don't feel restricted in it. It does take time to learn how to live that kind of life. Um, however, I, it started happening again um, a couple of weeks ago. And it's interesting because, or not a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago. And what's interesting is that I was sitting there and I was thinking, okay, I'm going to have to figure out like, what is my current food trigger for this? And is it something new that I started eating that I had a food sensitivity before and I didn't realize now I'm eating more of it? Is it a new supplement I've introduced and I'm having a reaction to that? So really thinking back, but then also thinking like, am I, have I been under more stress? Because that can cause a leaky gut and cause food sensitivities. I was like, yeah, I have had stress. So I've been introducing more meditation. Like I've been really protecting my morning, you know, meditation and Tai Chi and Qigong time that I had been kind of letting slip. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was like, okay, have I been eating like any ultra processed foods? And I was like, no, I've been pretty good with that. So I think that's okay. I have noticed that my hormone balance has started to shift going into perimenopause. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I've been noticing some changes with my menstruation has been changing a little bit. And so I'm supporting my perimenopause with some maca, you know, just to see if I can help my body through this phase with some more grace and ease. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, all of those things together, I'm still really paying attention to that. Um, and it's it's improving and it's getting better. And so 
um, you know, if I just did the elimination diet on its own, I would end up on an even more restricted diet, <laughs> right? And I was like, okay, well, I'm willing to cut out this food. However, why did this, like, is, is it, did it happen just because I'm aging? Or did it happen because um, there's been something happening with my health that I just haven't been aware of? And this is my call to action to focus on it again, mm-hmm. to kind of refocus in on it. Um, and that's the thing, I think, as, as people who have gone through health issues, and we've solved our health issues, you know, you can go along and kind of lose track of those things, those foundational aspects that support our health, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we forget that there's also processes of like our hormonal shifts over time. And as we age, and paying attention to that. So yeah, it's, it's, um, it's not an easy thing to do. Um, because, you know, if I didn't do this approach, I would go to the doctor and get a medication, like you would go to the doctor and get a migraine prescription, right? Mm-hmm. And that will certainly help the superficial, like it will help the headache go away or reduce the headache frequency or severity, would reduce my dermatitis. But whatever is causing it to happen is still happening in the background. And if you don't address that, that means your immune system is constantly being activated and going through this like, you know, this inflammation in the body is being activated and you're kind of like, you know, it's like you're, you're, you're turning off the fire alarm. So it's not signaling anymore, but the fire is still raging inside, right? That causes body damage over time. And that's why I think a lot of people, a lot of research that look at people over time who have, you know, developed certain conditions. And even though they're appropriately treated on medication, they will go on to develop more diagnoses and more conditions and they'll get worse over time. They, their, med, their condition doesn't get better. They feel better, but they aren't actually better. You know, there's a distinction between those things. Exactly. Yeah, it's just getting to the root cause of what the problem is. And, you know, it's medications is usually just a Band-Aid. Um, I mean, and I'm not opposed to medications. I mean, if, if you have a really bad migraine, you are so happy to have a pain medication, you know, to just stop that pain. But as far as trying to prevent that long term, um, I, I just found that there was so many other lifestyle and diet factors and supplements that were even better at preventing or treating, you know, when I had a migraine that I would just do and didn't have the side effects, you know, from the other medications. So, I, you know, and I think just once people learn that, they're just going to feel so much better and not have to depend on a pharmaceutical to, just to get through a day. Absolutely. And, and medications don't have to be a band-aid. They can be a bridge. It's like you, you take them to be okay in the moment and to like get through your day and, you know, have the energy and the time to focus on finding the root causes. Because if you're, you're like, I'm not going to take a medication, but you're lying in bed, suffering from a migraine, right? Nothing nutritionally is going to help you in that moment. <laughs> and if there's a medication that works for you and, and, you know, you have access to it, then there's like nothing to say you shouldn't take it so that you can get out of bed, feel better, go about your day, and then use that time that has been gifted to you to work on your nutrition, to work on the lifestyle, to, you know, figure out your root causes. And, you know, what I sometimes, you know, knowledge is power. So -hmm. if you're having migraines or headaches, I highly recommend buying Lynn's book, Overcoming Migraines, because you will probably want to work with a health professional, okay? 
if you're a do-it-yourself kind of person, you're going to want to buy the book to understand the science and to really know what to do and how to do it. Even if you're someone who wants to work with a health professional, you're going to want to know what kind of health professional you want to work with. And when you come into that relationship with a, with a deeper understanding of what you're experiencing, and you have those initial conversations with that health professional, you will quickly identify if that's someone that you want to continue working with or, or not, right? You become an informed consumer in so many ways. So um, I, overcoming migraine, I highly recommend getting it. Um, and before I share how to do that, a few more questions, Lynn, actually, sorry. Um, is there a supplement that you've used or that you know, you've seen used or you've come across the research that someone can take their headache is triggered, like they can tell they're going to get a headache. All those warning signs are there. Is there any supplement that has helped, been helpful under that condition? Yes, and that was one that I was introduced to with the holistic doctor that I had never heard of before, and it's called 5-HTP. It's 5-hydroxytryptophan, and it's the precursor to serotonin. And you know, the, the tryptin drugs that they use to treat migraines um, work similarly, you know, on the serotonin. So it helps kind of naturally boost the serotonin level, which they think is involved with the, the migraines. So if I started get because I have the auras and so I would have a visual clue that a migraine was coming, I would take the 5-HTP immediately. And usually within about 15 minutes, the R was gone. And the headache itself was less severe. Uh, I wouldn't say it totally prevented it. You know, um, sometimes it was very, it was almost like just having a regular headache. But other times you, you still had the pain, but it was not near as bad. So, um, and I just tolerated the 5-HTP much better than the, the tryptin medications. Uh, so that one was a game changer for me because i I really didn't use the other medications after that point and then just started working on the diet and supplementing with magnesium. Um, but that was that was huge for me. Uh, but it's there are some caveats. You know, you do want to know what you're doing. and Be careful taking 5-HTP. And what was the dose that worked for you? Um, I started at 50 milligrams just as a kind of a maintenance dose. I would take one in the morning, one at night. Um, and then I would increase it to 100 to 200 milligrams, you know, especially if, if I felt one coming on. And a lot of times that was enough that would take care of it. And if it wasn't really, if it was a really bad migraine, I, I would wait, you know, maybe half an hour or so or an hour. And if it was the R was still a problem or the pain was, you know, becoming more of an issue, then I would take another one. Um, so it. It just really depended on um, how bad the migraine was or what triggered it, I guess. But um, I did, when I first started, I would take it to treat a migraine, but I also took just a regular dose daily, you know, usually morning and evening to get it into my system and just help boost my serotonin levels. And then I just um, kind of use it as a as needed basis. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, because magnesium and riboflavin and nutrition, all of those things are to help prevent or, you know, prevent one a, a migraine or headache from happening or decrease the frequency or severity. However, once a migraine starts, you know, the nutrition or the magnesium and the, the B vitamins are not going to help. That's that's the 5-HTP, which is it gets converted into serotonin, then melatonin, which is very interesting. Mm -hmm. um, 
So 50 milligrams twice a day as like maintenance therapy, like you take it day in and day out, you you notice you're going to start to get a headache, you're, you, everybody has their kind of tell, so you take 100 milligrams, and if after about half an hour to an hour, it hasn't been helpful enough adding another 100 milligrams, like something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Most of the time, you know, that took care of it. So if um, you catch it early. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's the key. Yeah, 100%. And that's the same with the medications, the, uh, um, you know, the triptans, like it, they work best when you catch them early. If you kind of snooze and wait around, it's like, you know, it's like the horse is out of the barn, right? It's not going to actually help you all that much. So um, it seems like the rules of the game are similar between the supplement and the medication. So that's really great to know. Um, I'm glad I asked that question. Um, and so last question is, what are some, what would be like a bit of advice that you would give to someone who is suffering from migraines and they feel like they've tried everything? Yeah, first I would say don't lose hope because um, it can be very discouraging, but it's important to stay positive. You know, you have to know as you're searching for answers that it, it can get better. Um, a lot of times, particularly for women, you know, migraines do tend to get better as we get older. and uh, they're not as common in women after the age of 50. So for for females, you know, that is kind of something to look forward to. And the other thing is just find a compassionate healthcare worker who maybe has some experience with migraine or, you know, whether they have them themselves or not, but who is sympathetic and, and kind of listens to your story and sees how migraine is actually affecting your life and helps you find what works best for you. So that's, you know, I still think that's definitely one of the best things that happened to me is meeting a holistic MD who put me on the right path and showed me that it is not about just taking a, a pill. You know, that's not going to fix everything that you need to really work with your body to get to a point where you're not having to rely on medication, you know, any more than possible. Oh, that's so wonderful. Thank you so much, Lynn. And, and it's, this information is so important because research shows that when women have migraines, the blood flow to their brain decreases by 50%. It's been associated with an increased future risk of dementia, you know, because it does affect the brain when you, when you have that decreased blood flow. So it's not just a headache, you know, it's a real thing that your body is experiencing that, that it, your brain literally hurts because it's undergoing these fluctuations of inflammation and, and not enough blood flow. Um, so it really is worth your time to focus in on yourself, to give yourself that time to connect with health professionals, to you know, look at your stress response, um, to prioritize yourself. If you're someone who's a very busy individual and you've been um, really good at prioritizing your work and other people in your life, um, it really is worthwhile to take, you know, I had to take a couple of years while I had kids to focus in on my health. Um, and the payoff has been so uh, incredible. I mean, my children and my husband are so grateful that I've, I figured my health out, right? Because, you know, you're not laid low by the, um, by the effects of poor health. Like with headaches and migraines, people spend hours and days in their bedrooms with the lights off and, you know, or with a, a, a headache, not a migraine, you get irritable and you can't focus, you can't be productive, you can't enjoy your life. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it is important to, to do those things. And so I would say if you're unsure as to what to do next, the next step is to buy Lynn's book and read it. 
so you can get more informed and that way you can understand what is your next step beyond that. So Lynn, where can people find your book and where can people find you? Um, the book is available on Amazon. Um, so you can just look up Overcoming Migraine. Um, it's Overcoming Migraine, a proven plan for prevention. And um, you can find more about me at uh, ClaytonNutrition.com. That's my uh, main private practice website. Um, and then some of the information when I was writing the book, um, I also have a website called OurDailyChews.com where we do a lot of recipes and you know food blog um, videos and stuff. Um, but that was where a lot of the information you know has from that book. Um, but there's also a downloadable. Um, PDF from and it'll in the book it tells you where to find that. So there's a quiz that you can take. Uh, just answer those questions and it'll kind of lead you into the direction of which supplement might be better or you know what adjustments you might need to make. Um, and then you can also get a copy of the the supplements and everything, the doses and all of that that was used in the book um, from that website. Awesome. Thank you so much, Lynn. That is such valuable information for everyone. And if you're um, watching this, please save, subscribe, mark it as a favorite so you can easily come back to this and find this later. Um, share it with someone who wants root cause solutions for their health concerns as well. And I look forward to seeing you again on the next Wild Wisdom show. Lynn, thank you so much for joining us today. It has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast, Wild Wisdom with Dr. Patricia Mills. If you like this podcast, please take the time to like and subscribe. And please feel free to leave any comments and look below for the contact information if you want to connect with me directly. Thank you. And I hope you have a wonderful day, evening or night. Hi, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Just a reminder, this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast is not a substitute for a professional care doctor or other qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided with the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you are looking for help in your journey, it is important that you seek out a qualified health practitioner. If you would like to work with Dr. Patricia for her expert health transformation guidance, please email her at info at drpatriciamills.com to book a discovery call. You can also find Dr. Patricia on Instagram at Dr. Patricia Mills and Facebook at Wild Wisdom for Women with Dr. Patricia Mills, MD. For access to all of Dr. Patricia's educational videos and more amazing perks, consider becoming a Patreon member. Links are in the description of this episode. It is important to have an expert in your corner that can help you make the changes you crave, especially when it comes to your health. 